0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: Hi, I'm Ahmad Fuad Rahmat and welcome to Night School, the show that explores key themes in history, the social sciences and the humanities. We critically unpack theories, frameworks and social phenomena, the better to understand how society works. Each week we discuss a classic text theme or an idea that we hope to shed light on the world around you we're going to traverse beyond the realm of the social quote-unquote to talk about insects today entomology in particular and to help us with that is uh independent science writer freelance science writer lao yaohua welcome to the show man hey thanks good to have you back well one of the reasons that i even thought about this because as a hobby is one of the things that i like to read when i'm not reading for my work is well, just ecology stuff, you can't avoid climate change, you know, you can't avoid talking about nature. And the more I just read, whether it's the, in the fine print or if it's the more overt topics, you just can't avoid talking about insects. They're pretty much everywhere. Right, yeah. Well, I'm very happy to, to hear you
0: say that you read lots about uh, nature. So, not just in books, you know, not just in writing. Basically, if you just look around you, there's... Yeah. Um, you can't run away from them And uh, well, sadly for many insects They can't run away from humans too
1: <laughs> But basically Whatever are
0: plants They're going to be insects Yeah You can say that That's true They have co-evolved together For many 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 years yeah.
1: so And that means I mean just The fact that they're everywhere Means they're very Evolutionarily successful Right In the sense that They're just As a, as a genera
0: yeah. Yes, that's one way to put it As a group, right? Mm-hmm. So not just as a genera So mm-hmm. there are many genera So as a class, I guess mm-hmm. you can say As a class The class in the sector Is very successful In the sense that They have colonized Many, many corners And many, many Different environments on Earth So mm-hmm. I think the only environments that we don't really find insects, uh, you know, viable populations of insects, are in the open ocean. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course, in the deep parts of the Arctic and Antarctica. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those are about it, really.
1: Yeah. Now, why don't we start with defining what an insect is? I was surprised to learn that spiders are not insects.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, let's do the instead of a definition. Let's help our listeners. Differentiate between you know if I find a bug is yeah, it an yeah. insect or is it a spider right so the easiest way is to see if it has six legs mm. right so insects have six legs now not all insects there are there are several million species of insects so but but, but almost all large, of them yeah. yeah yeah almost all of them will have six legs and 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 antenna so spiders have no antenna they will have three parts to their bodies mm. so if you look at their body map you know they will have three parts. And that's that's more or less. So basically, uh, body
1: has three parts, right? And they're visibly obvious parts, right? Most of the time, right? Not right. not
0: all the time. Sometimes the the thorax, which is the second part, less of like our the torso, part, yeah, yeah, the middle part, and the abdomen can be. It looks fused. Mm. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it, it looks fused. And yeah. then
1: six legs is a giveaway too.
0: Yes, yes. The right. adults have six legs.
1: Right, yeah. right. Now, I want to probe more into these details, but I guess right. before that, just to help our listeners contextualize the discussion, how did you get into insects? Because you've studied it at quite a high level because you have a PhD, basically, in insect behavior. Am I right? My PhD was
0: in entomology, but for my, uh, yeah, for my PhD, I studied insect behavior.
1: And what insects exactly?
0: Right, so this is the tough part you know? Well, I did not study bees or butterflies which should have made it so much easier for me to explain So I studied this um, The name, the species name was Jocoris pellens And it's, um, it's what we call a true bug You actually have it in Malaysia too Not the exact species, but closely related species so it's a, it's a very small insect, smaller than our nail, probably wow. not more than 5 millimeter long. Wow. Okay. And it has a mouth like a straw, hmm. sort of like a mosquito, but mm-hmm. not like a mosquito. Um, the mouth parts, I mean. And it has big eyes, it's called mm-hmm. a big eye bug. And so that was the insect that I studied for 4 years, actually, <laughs> in the cotton fields of California. Yeah, And as to how I got into insects, well... When I was young, I used to spend quite a lot of time just, I guess, playing in my garden. My house has a garden, so I played in my garden a lot. And there were many ants in the garden, and yeah, they captivated me. And I would just squat by the drain. I remember this quite well. I would just squat by the drain and look at the ants go about their work, you know, carrying food. And sometimes they'll go into territorial disputes, fights, you know. And they go into their nuptial flight, so it's just what we call, you know, in Chinese, we call them like flying ants. Mm-hmm. So these are really ants that are going, they're about to mate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they just come out from the ground in my garden and they're just go into this swarm in the
1: air and they swirl about. And I found that very fascinating. So, yeah, because, I mean, why I find this fascinating from my perspective is that, especially as I'm trying to finish my PhD now, Studying insects at that level... Good luck, good luck with that. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Studying insects at that level requires a peculiar obsession throughout a long period of time. And when you were describing to me this particular type of insect you were studying for about four years, more or less, it made me wonder, like, what exactly draws you into it that closely and in that detail? Because I find them interesting just from casual reading online, but I don't know if I can dedicate myself at that extent. So... What's the mental frame like to get that deep and to get into that detail? Right. So when I started my... Um,
0: well, when I chose to do a graduate degree in entomology, in insect behavior, I did not know what insect I was going to work on. And I think that's actually the right mindset to go in with, to not fix yourself on one certain species. I had a set of questions that I was very interested to ask and to investigate. So I, when I met my professor, he was like, you know, there's this, uh, why, why don't you go into the cotton fields and, and get to know the insects first, no? And so that was what I did. So I went to the fields, I read a bunch of papers, and I looked at what the in- mm. the, what insects there were there, how they lived on the plants, you know, what they fed on. And then some questions started to creep into my mind, started mm. to creep into my mind. And in fact, that the insect that I studied, the big eye bug, Aside from its big eyes, you know, really <laughs> relative to its body, there's really nothing so attractive about it. In mm-hmm. fact, you definitely miss it as it runs across the ground. It's so well camouflaged. But it was supposed to play a biological control role mm-hmm. in cotton field. Interesting. And, uh, yeah, and, the, and the United States government spent quite a bit of money trying to breed lots of these bugs and mm-hmm. then release them into the cotton fields because these are predators and they're supposed to eat other herbivores. Mm-hmm. But it never really worked. So, the question was, an obvious question was, why? Why did it not work? Right, right. Um, and so that got me hooked itself. But I would say, actually, there are a zillion more interesting <laughs> insects than big Well, that's the interesting part, though, in
1: that I think typically when people survey the animal world, their eyes land firstly on the big, interesting animals like exactly. elephants and giraffes. But then the more you think about insects, the more sophisticated and fascinating they are because. Their morphology is mm-hmm. interesting. In the sense that they can change shapes, right. they can adjust to temperature, and that's what makes them so evolutionarily dynamic, right? So, right. for example, a butterfly is the, the obvious case in point in that it changes shapes so fascinatingly across colors and even across the types of skeletal frames, right? Mm-hmm. Eventually from the lava to the caterpillar to the butterfly, right? Fleas is one thing that I learned about the other day as well in that they could stay a certain shape until they sense enough organic heat for them to suddenly change shape and then live off that heat, right? Of a host as a parasite. So they're almost like superheroes when you think about it. Just the fact that they can morph, right? Whereas the larger animals, of course, they're fascinating too, but they don't have that same sort of elasticity, right, you know, right, in terms right. of just their organic make. You know? Yeah,
0: it's true. You raise a very good point there. This... Hope, change, this transformation, right? We call it metamorphosis, right? Either it's incomplete or complete. The ones that you mentioned, butterfly, it's a a complete development, complete transformation. It will go from egg. If if you think about it, it all happens in one single individual, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. You know, in humans or in any other mammals, like, you know, it goes from the biggest change would really be from two cells, Mm -hmm. right? Sperm and egg. You know, And from there into a baby, I guess that's the biggest transformation yeah, you can see. After
1: birth, basically from infancy to maturity, the right. form more or less stays the same.
0: Exactly. So you could recognize yourself in pictures when you were as, as a baby, right? But yes. there's there no way a butterfly could recognize, wow, okay, well, now we are going to the minds of butterflies itself.
1: <laughs> well, you're the entomologist, uh, so
0: you tell me. Yeah. yeah, but if you think about it, they go from one small tiny speck, an egg, and then they become, and then they hatch and they turn into this caterpillar, which is basically just an eating machine, a feeding machine. Mm-hmm. And it does nothing other than feed. Just mm-hmm. munch, 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 and then it spins this cocoon, and then it undergoes this huge transformation in there, where it really reorganizes everything, and pop up comes a butterfly, mm-hmm. which actually then serves a different purpose, like it has a different function compared to the caterpillar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's, it's as if an insect in its life lived several lives Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so that's actually definitely amazing yeah
1: Yeah, but it's hard to I mean the butterfly is probably the safest example right in the sense that it's the one we all know we all know but we also like to watch they're colourful they're pretty but there are a lot of bugs that are scary right really (laughs) (laughs) a cockroach for example right people generally find it scary so I think that's part of the difficulty and I guess grasshoppers I find grasshoppers very scary (laughs) I find them interesting, though. But universally, at least, cockroach has become the villain among the insects, right? Unfortunately. I don't know, maybe fortunately, it's hard to tell. But that's part of the difficulty in spreading insect awareness in that humans like the animals cute and approachable, right? Whereas insects are not quite because they're small and we can't really tell what it can do. You know, is it poisonous or not, right? So there's always that kind of gap, right, between what we take to be animals that are interesting and aesthetically pleasing and like worthy of say discussions around climate change of right extinction and stuff like that. And insects don't quite fit that bill, unfortunately, you know?
0: Yeah. I think many people would assume that I would describe insects as cute And have this strong emotional connection with them
1: That's my assumption right now Yeah, Actually,
0: actually, uh, I've never described insects as as cute I am fascinated by them I really admire them I would say some are very, very beautiful And definitely amazing In terms of the evolutionary pathways that they have gone through But I definitely don't feel the same connection with the big eye bug As I would with my pet dog mm -hmm. No way yeah, they just don't react in the same way. As, so as, so as is, is yeah. it
1: then like the fact that, I mean, just biologically, you and your pet dog are much more similar? so We connect
0: better. Yeah. And of course, we have to so remember that domestic dogs... Have evolved that way. Mm-hmm. All the others that were very fierce and would bite me when I tried to pet it; those have probably been more <laughs> right. or less flushed out of our societies. Yeah, yeah. So, but insects are, you know, they have not evolved that way. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Although some insects do end up as pets. So I mean, for a while, ant farms were popular, right?
0: And they can verify
1: just go about their own business and they won't care about you. <laughs> yeah, sounds like cats too, by the way. Cats do the same. Yeah, well, that's the introduction to the wild and fascinating world of insects. We'll get into more details in the second part of the show with Yao Hua, our resident entomologist, who's giving us an introduction to the field today. I'm Ahmad Fat Rahmat and this is Night School on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Night School. I'm Ahmad Fat Rahmat. Joining us today is Lao Yao Hua. He is the, um, I guess, the station's entomologist, if you will. But in effect, you are a freelance science writer. And today we're discussing one of your passions, I guess, which is the study of insects. In the first part of the show, we gave a good overview of what insects are exactly, how unique they are, and the challenges of relating to them, right? As humans, we do want to understand our world, and some animals are more relatable than others. Insects are not quite, for various reasons, from size to look to just... Their vastness, I guess, maybe, but it's much harder than say our domestic um our domestic animals are more used to, but let's talk about how insects are often talked about in the current context, in that when we talk about evolution, right, they seem to be very, very robust and well suited to adapt as compared to other classes of animals. Why is that?
0: Well, they are quite several reasons for that. But let's talk, uh, I I guess we can recap one of the points that we made in the first half Mm -hmm. of the show in that this transformation in uh, body plans, right? And that allows them to, you know, from a feeding machine like a caterpillar to an adult that leaves, we can arguably say that the butterfly, the adult butterfly leaves only to mate Mm -hmm. and then to lay eggs. And in each stage, their body plan has evolved to serve that function very well. It's not like us. We, you know, in our stage we have to serve several functions at the mm-hmm. same time. Mm-hmm. But for insects you know, because they are able to do this transformation, so that's part of their success So story.
1: basically, the metamorphosis they go through mm-hmm. map out to the different functions they have to serve at that particular time. Yes, you can so say that. So basically for the caterpillar it's just a munching machine. Right, and then when it becomes a butterfly, it just has to mate. Right. Ah, okay. So okay. So at every that's the strategy that they have right. evolved. Yeah, you can you can put it that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's more specific. It's more directed, and it's, it's sort of, I guess, it's, uh What's the advantage of that? I guess that's what I'm thinking now.
0: It allows them to specialize. Mm-hmm. It allows them to be a lot more efficient and effective in that stage. So if, if you can go back to the caterpillar, if you have seen how a caterpillar eats, basically, it really. It is a feeding machine, mm-hmm. a machine, literally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then when it goes to a, a butterfly, right, when it becomes a butterfly, it spends very little time on feeding. And it can dedicate almost all of its resources to finding a mate mm-hmm. and mate. So to find a mate, mate, and then lay eggs. Mm-hmm.
1: After that, it just dies. Right, so it does right. it very well. Okay, yeah. okay. Uh, no existential hang-ups like us, right? So. Uh, no,
0: no. <laughs> there are no grandmother... Yeah actually there is only in insect societies you find sort of like a, uh, no even then you don't find so there's this idea of senescence right why do some animals live way beyond mm-hmm. their reproductive phase sort of like elephants mm-hmm. whales humans like why do we have grandmothers you No, know, mm-hmm. the, biologically they seem to have well this sounds a bit cold but biologically they seem to have
1: Serve their purpose. Serve right? their purpose. Oh, those ago. are those are your words. Yeah. For us. yeah. Well, I'm <laughs> yeah. talking about animals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> those are your words. Yeah. We so do worse things for animals. Why? But anyway. Why? Why? Why do they continue to take up resources? Right. Yeah. What? Well, how has such a strategy evolved? In insects, we don't see that. Insects, we don't see that. So they're very, well, they're more like
1: intergenerational in, networks. Then
0: they do. So oh, okay. in insect societies, you see that, right? Okay. Insect societies,
1: you see that. So only in insect
0: societies would you see
1: that. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what's the connection then between the evolution of insects and plants, right? Because bees are obviously the easy examples because they pollinate. And my sense is that we can talk about why that's uh, being threatened nowadays, but they're often talked about in very similar ways, right? Or in in the the same vein, in the sense that they require each other. So can you explain that to us?
0: Well, definitely many insects are herbivores, so they would need to Mm -hmm. feed on the plants. And plants also provide habitats for insects. So they're not just food. They could also be a a place to live Mm. on and in. Either in the roots, in the stems, in the fruits itself. And plants would need insects for pollination, as you said. That's probably the major role, the major benefit that insects have for flowering plants. Mm. But many plants also rely on insects to protect themselves against other insects, arguably, Mm -hmm. or against other larger herbivores and so in that way they are they are connected
1: so that's very interesting too what that means is that the evolution of plants went hand in hand with the evolution of insects then especially when you said that they require defense mechanisms
0: I wouldn't go as far as to say that all plants are like that for sure right right? but you find examples pairs of species you know a a plant and, and an insect that show very intricately linked lifestyles natural history For example, pollination, the shape of the flowers, how long it is before you get to the nectar, right? The length of the... I I don't remember the word for it, but it's just the the length that the insect will have to reach into to reach the nectar, Mm -hmm. and how the shape of the petals and the corolla are like. So it would seem as if it's designed for this type of insect to visit and to get its nectar. And in Mm -hmm, the process, mm -hmm. the insect can't help but just transfer the pollen yeah, right? Yeah. but of course we know there is no designer according to evolutionary theory they have just been playing this game mm-hmm. of an evolutionary game and so they have worked for and against each other I- in a way and there are also plants that release volatile compounds, smells that would trigger or attract predators to come when they are being eaten so this plant cabbage for example mm-hmm. when they are being chewed on by a caterpillar so they release volatile compounds we we can't really smell them but they are parasitic wasps that Mm. can smell it pick up and they will come hone in on that cabbage that's being attacked and then this parasitic wasp would attack the caterpillars interesting yeah so this uh, how intricately linked they can be yeah they're
1: so linked for each other's survival right now bees are often talked about as being a very endangered point right now because climate change is really affecting the way they survive can you explain a little bit about that
0: I think our main concern with bees now, well, we've been talking about a few, a few years about this colony collapse disorder, mm-hmm. right? And I haven't really been following the literature so much these few years, but there are a variety of reasons that have been mm-hmm. given. One of them being the change in climate, so warmer temperatures. But then there are also parasitic mites, and then there are also hypotheses about the pesticides that we use. Mm-hmm. And then there are also arguments about competition between bee species so there are a variety Mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. reasons going on so
1: the jury is still out as to whether the link with climate change is definitive
0: definitely climate change would affect the distribution of bees that's for sure Mm -hmm. but how would it translate into Like, how does it actually contribute to colony collapse disorder somebody there knows a lot more okay. than I do on <laughs> no this problem. subject.
1: Um, but how about the Malaysia itself, being very biodiverse, what is the uniqueness of our insect world?
0: Well, how would you like me to answer that? Um, we have the world's oldest tropical rainforest, right? Mm-hmm. I think how unique our insects are to the world is yet to be known. I think it's safe to say that because there's so much of our rainforest, mm-hmm. either on Peninsula or on Borneo itself, Sabah Sarawak, Remains to be discovered
1: I remember going to Tamanagaru At a very young age I was like 14 or something And I remember seeing a huge grasshopper hmm.
0: Talking about almost like The length of my arm Wow oh, You know Is this like one of those I saw these big shark stories <laughs> Well I actually did Oh you were very young at the time <laughs> So we have no
1: idea How long your arm were, Your arm was so. Yeah well Yeah I was a bit taller than then But uh, not that much My arm's not that much shorter But It's bigger than the domestic grasshopper, you know. So that Mm. makes me wonder too, like, for survival reasons, it's much better for them to adapt, especially if they have to live among humans to a size that can make them survive that condition, right? Maybe there's just not enough resources here
0: in the cities. Yeah. I guess we can do a lot of guesswork about it. But I think your point was that there are many, many, many... Insects, animals or plants that we have yet to discover Mm -hmm. that really look very, very bizarre and different compared Mm -hmm. to what we see in the cities or even in our gardens. And you are definitely right. Actually, in fact, even in our urban green lungs, right? So there are parks in and around Klang Valley. And sometimes when I go hiking, for example, there is a park in the Puchong area or even Bukit Gasing, right? If you hike in those places, in those parks, and you spend some time just flipping over the leaves or bending down to the ground, to the undergrowth, and you just spend some time looking at it. Of course, maybe you have to move away a bit from the busy trails. Yeah, you find very... Um For example, there was this grasshopper that I found just a month or two ago in Bukit Gasing. Well, it wasn't the length of my arm. <laughs> I it was it was probably a uh, shorter it, it was definitely shorter than my my index finger, but it's very very colorful. Mm-hmm. Not a color, not a combination that I've seen in any of the grasshoppers in my garden, mm-hmm. and I was fascinated.
1: Yeah, I was fascinated. But the fact that they can adapt in a condition like a thick jungle, and at the same time do well in a garden in some suburban taman in PJ says a lot about their adaptability. Not many animals you can find in both worlds.
0: Right. Yeah, But of course the caveat on that is, are we talking about the same species?
1: Right, right. Well, you tell me. What, what do you see? I mean, you go to Bukit Gasing and you go to like your... I,
0: I'm not sure if, if right. that same species that I saw in Bukit Gasing how well it's doing mm-hmm. in, yeah. in, in a pristine <laughs> forest, right? But I won't be surprised So how well an animal does it, it depends really just on the resources that's available Mm. and its natural enemies. So if there are no natural enemies or very few of its natural enemies and there is some food around and habitat for it to lay its eggs and raise its young, it should do reasonably well. So, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. herbivores, so grasshoppers. If you are talking about it, they're herbivores. Um, they are generalists, more or less. Mm-hmm. So they are not like you know very picky eaters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's so, true. So, so in our gardens, they could definitely find.
1: They'll just live off grass, even right?
0: I think they prefer leaves. Yeah, uh, I've not yeah. seen actually. I've not <laughs> seen grasshopper like eat grass on. In,
1: yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. They just hop around them, yeah. I guess. But this takes me or my imagination rather to this really interesting world of living organisms, like, which are small, right? Like worms. I mean, they have their own... I'm thinking of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, right? When they they, they shrink and they're in this entirely different world where everything else is much bigger now. But unfortunately, you know, when we're very anthropocentric in our thinking, we think that, you know, we're the ones that matter and only the animals around us and the ones that we can see matter. But there's this whole other microcosm or a whole entire universe among these smaller animals, insects among them. You know that goes on anyway and does its thing and is just waiting for us to learn and discover.
0: Right? Yeah, I think it is not wrong actually to be anthropocentric or however you are, or, or sure, just sure. to be so self-centered. But because we do have we to are re- who we are, we are who we yeah. are, and we have to think about the survival of our species in, in that way, and that gives us incentive to do all the things that we do or shouldn't do or should be doing. But that does not mean just being so self-centered you know as a species that does not mean that we neglect or disregard all the other species that are going about us we definitely need to realize that we can't do well mm-hmm. without many many of them mm-hmm, they are mm-hmm. sort of like all these background processes it's sort of like you know when we switch on a computer and we're looking at the screen and then we only go straight to the program that we use in this case you know probably one of those word processor mm-hmm. things or our internet Chrome browser or something yeah, yeah, yeah you know one of those internet browser stuff Or Facebook, everything that's the center of the universe. But we do not see all (laughs) these algorithms that are running in the background, right? All these checks that are running. It's only when suddenly something goes wrong, like you perhaps accidentally deactivated your antivirus program, Mm -hmm, for example, mm -hmm. and then you get attacked, you get hacked, and then suddenly your whole universe just crumbles. And you realize, oh my gosh, (laughs) that was a very important part of my universe. So it is in the same vein that if we disregard or if we neglect all these other, you know, you said worms, um, it can be anything, all these other grasses, fungus, whatever they are, even viruses
1: that's like living around us. It's to our own peril. Can you specify a little bit more on that point? I like that point in that beyond intellectual curiosity, we should care about that world, the smaller world of living beings because somehow our well-being depends on that. Can you explain about why? Why should a human person care about insects?
0: Actually, it would be why not? You know, the, the usual arguments would be for like so much of our food depends on it. The fruits that we eat would mm. depend on pollination. So mm-hmm, we have we have mm-hmm, talked mm-hmm, about that. Mm-hmm. We have talked about biological control. We did not talk about medicine. Mm-hmm. Right? The first half of the show you, you said that cockroaches is like the villain of uh, insects. Actually the real villain would be mosquitoes and flies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those groups of insects have taken more human lives than true, arguably actually. any other weapons that humans have come up with. Yeah. So those are the real villains, if you want to put it that way. So we definitely cannot disregard our flies and mosquitoes
1: for our health. Can you just clarify once and for all the story with cockroaches? I mean, we we seem to really resent them, but is that an exaggerated fear? Is it justified? I mean, what's the story? Well, for those who
0: fear cockroaches, I'm sure the fear is justified. Actually, I think we dislike them only because of how they look. It's a prejudice It's a disgust Yeah, it's a disgust, right? We we find that they are We think they're dirty And Yeah Very few people will find Cockroaches attractive, right? They're not (laughs) colourful Or most of the ones we know Are not colourful There are several thousand species Of cockroaches And some of them Can be attractive Although they're more or less The same flattish body shape Um, I'm slightly afraid Of cockroaches too (laughs) I studied insects for years, right? But that does not mean I'm not afraid of some of them (laughs) So grasshoppers (laughs) I'm uh, afraid praying of praying mantis. Still? Yeah, yeah, I told oh, you. I'm oh, afraid yeah, of yeah, grasshoppers. Right. I'm afraid of praying mantis. I also do not like cockroaches. But it is not a fear that cannot be overcome. Yeah. And is it justified? Well, cockroaches can carry lots of bacteria mm-hmm. on them, but they can't bite. Mm-hmm. Cockroaches can't bite. They're and just they, gross, basically, right? Somehow, somehow we've evolved to see them as gross. But you know, cockroaches do keep themselves quite clean. You know, they always really, clean yeah. their antenna. You know, they clean their legs. So interesting. Yeah. Okay. Lastly,
1: how diverse are insects relative to other classes of animals?
0: Well, they are definitely the most diverse groups of animals that we know. We have named about one million species of them. As to how many they actually are, it, it's anyone's guess. But I think a safe estimate is about 3 to 4 million mm-hmm. species of insects in total. That definitely dwarfs the mammals, the, mm-hmm. the number of species of mammals. I, mean, I, I do not remember how many species of mammals mm-hmm. that they are, but they are definitely just a very small percentage compared
1: to insects.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think what comes close... Um, but these are like land animals, right? Right. So, ocean animals are a completely different question, right? Because what, what in the ocean, mean? I mean, they're more diverse sorts of classes of. Well, crustaceans
0: ocean are very diverse right. too. Snails, mm-hmm. so the mollusks are very, very diverse mm-hmm. too. But not as diverse as insects. Okay. Still not as diverse I as see. insects, yeah. You know, anybody who's interested can just go Google. There is this image of. If you just Google for insect diversity and you look for the images, you might find this image of a huge fly with a very small deer and then like a crab and a mushroom and birds and stuff. All proportion. Their size is proportionate to their species number. Mm-hmm. And you'll sure. find the fly just this just huge Mm -hmm. fellow there on the picture. Wow.
1: Yeah, we'll look for that image and then post it on our Facebook page. Uh, (laughs) Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. But thanks for this conversation, Yahoo. It was really, really exciting, actually. And maybe once I'm done with this PhD, I can read about it more. But before Mm -hmm. we wrap up, what recommendations do you have? Maybe documentaries, books, other things to look up on Google? Yeah, well, for books, I would, uh, books on insects, right? Mm -hmm.
0: I would definitely recommend Thomas Eisner's For the Love of Insects. It's a really, really good book. Um, Professor Eisner has already passed on. But in this book, he chronicled his experiments, his studies of insects, their chemicals, Mm -hmm. their mating, how they prey upon each other. It's really a fascinating book, not just for the natural history itself, but for how a scientist approach entomology. Mm -hmm. And it's a very, very good read. And as for documentaries, wow, there are like a zillion out there, you know, life in the undergrowth mm-hmm. from BBC yeah you can just google it yeah, we'll well, the, the things it you want to avoid is those like you know like spider versus spring <laughs> mantis <laughs> yeah that's all over YouTube right yeah, yeah I don't like those <laughs> alright thanks a lot anyway uh, are you on Twitter yes I am on Twitter on uh,
1: Lao. okay and maybe can they look you on Facebook Yes, you can look at me on okay, Facebook, but I'm not very active. Okay. <laughs> but maybe we can have you on again to talk about more particular types of insects. But for now, I think this is a good introduction. The listeners can email us as well, bfmnightschool at gmail.com, or look us up on Facebook, bfmnightschool, type that on the search space. Once again, I'm, I'm Fat Rahma, and there's Night School on BFM 89.9.